Welcome, Comforted Home listeners. This is the Barking Truth, presented to you by Comfort at Home Pet Services. This podcast will reveal the barking truth about what is actually happening in the pet industry so that you can gain knowledge and education to keep our pets safe, healthy, and well. I will be your host, Jennifer Seibel, Certified Professional Pet Sitter, Dog Bite Prevention Educator, Fear Free Certified, Pet First Aid and CPR Trained, and owner of Comfort at Home Pet Services. I hope you enjoy. Welcome. In this episode, we're going to talk about service dogs. Um, a lot of people get service dogs, emotional support dogs, and therapy dogs extremely confused. Um, but this episode, we're going to focus on service dogs and why um, people need them, why we need to leave people who have them alone, and a few other things. So joining me in this episode, I have a good friend and client of mine, Aoife. Hello. So Aoife, um, you actually have a, a, real, a real service dog. I do indeed. Um, she is uh, retired within the last six to eight months, but our partnership is for life. And so she is getting, uh, she's getting all the TLC and um, I, am, I am deeply grateful to be with her through all the phases of her life. Uh, so she was my seeing eye partner um, and we are still family, but she is no longer uh, a working part of my life. Okay, now you said um, she's your partner and that you did mention that she is a seeing eye dog. So what I wanna kind of ask you is, um, there's things out here like the Americans with Disabilities Act, all this, and we have you know HIPAA laws, different things like that. And I think the big, a big problem that I kinda wanna talk to you about tonight is in different facilities, your dog being a service animal the only question people uh, that own businesses that you take her into, pretty much the only question that they are allowed to legally ask you is what service does your dog perform? Correct? That is correct. Um, I carry identification with us at all times, but business owners are actually not allowed to demand to see it. Um, if I choose to present it, I can. I do need to answer their question uh, in terms of uh, live being from the seeing eye. And I should clarify that actually. So there's a, a fundamental difference between guide dogs as a broader category and seeing eye dogs. Um, the seeing eye is actually a registered trademark. It is a specific organization based in Morristown, New Jersey. Um, and so when I refer to live as a seeing eye dog, it means that she was bred at that facility, um, raised as a puppy by a 4-H family, and then trained at the seeing eye. And I lived at the school in order to train with her. Um, once she graduated from her individual training. So um, the term seeing eye is specific to uh, one program and one gene pool in terms of the dogs. Um, so what would you say the difference is between what you're calling your dog as a seeing eye dog compared to a guide dog? So a guide dog is um, any dog who assists a 
blind or visually impaired person, and I'll circle back in a sec to the difference between blind, blind and visually impaired, um, but uh, it's any dog who has been trained by an accredited organization, and in North America, I believe we have between uh, a dozen and 15 um, accredited programs uh, across Canada and the US who um, train and in most cases breed uh, dogs specifically to assist someone who is either low vision or blind. Um, and in a nutshell, the difference between those two is, so I am blind, I have no light perception uh, in my remaining natural eye, and my other eye is a prosthetic. So someone who is blind is someone who doesn't distinguish between light and dark. Um, someone who is visually impaired is someone who does not have a clear and full field of vision, but has at least residual light perception and may in fact um, be able to see things like color um, depending on the lighting and the the distance that between themselves and the object in question um, they may be able to see shape again depending on distance and lighting um, so someone can have quite a bit of vision and still qualify for um, partnership with a guide animal because um, that qualification has to do with can you use your vision safely for navigational purposes. If you can't, if you have reduced depth perception, or if you are night blind, or if you have tunnel vision, any of those things, um, you will qualify for most guide dog programs. Um, some people who are, uh, who have quite a lot of remaining vision but do need the assistance of a dog for safe navigation will actually use devices called occluders that um, obstruct their field of vision because otherwise some people will struggle and end up sort of second guessing um, some of what their dog is doing to keep them safe. So there's a whole spectrum of people that benefit from guide dog work. Um, you know, everybody from me to somebody you might meet on the street and think, oh, they can see all right. Okay. Um, so you, you mentioned just a moment ago, too, that you have a card basically saying that, you know, you're disabled, people aren't allowed to ask for it or anything like that. Now, something that really, you know, upsets me and pisses me off is that a lot of people go and try to take their dogs anywhere. And guess what? They can go online and buy some dumb vest that says service dog and they walk their dogs all around with a vest that says service dog on it so your dog I, i've been out in the public with you many many times um we're friends and you know i help you out with the dog and stuff she does not have a vest that says service dog on it um <laughs> so there are a few there are a few parts of that that um that I'd like to respond to. So oh, great. um in uh in Liv's case, um the seeing eye uses a harness. Um you can choose to also get a sign to hang on the harness that says something like service dog at work or seeing eye dog at work, depending on whether you specifically purchase that from the seeing eye or from uh, a commercial source. Um, I choose not to use those signs 
um, for a few reasons, and I, <laughs> honestly, I'm not sure if I want to, um, share all of them in this context, simply because I genuinely don't want to, um, uh, offend anybody who does use a sign with their dog. Some of my reasons for not doing it are pretty personal. Um, but, uh, as far as people, um, illicitly obtaining, um, service dog paraphernalia and using it on a pet, um, I, I just, I want people to understand how tremendously serious that is. Um, I've actually on two separate occasions had people approach me, in both cases it was in restaurants, um, and tell me with big smiles on their faces and chuckles in their voice, um, and I, by the way, the way I can tell that someone is smiling has to do with very specific parts of the way that your voice sounds versus um, like a, a straight face versus a smile, the actual speech pattern sounds different. Anyway, um, so people have come up to me and said, I got my pet, you know, a service dog vest online and it was so much fun. I got to take him to restaurants and movie theaters and, you know, I just had the best time bringing him these places. These are people that... I want to... We, we just want to slap them. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I want let's, to just... Let's just be honest. Hit we, real yeah. hard upside the head. Um, because anytime that someone brings an untrained or insufficiently trained animal into a public space like that and the dog misbehaves, and whether that's something trivial um, or... It looks bad on you and your dog. Well, yeah. And I mean, you're talking sometimes about dogs... I've known uh, business owners and people who worked in like emergency services who've been bitten by um, mm -hmm. illegitimate dogs wearing yeah. service paraphernalia. And then, you know, when someone like me comes with a legitimate trained certified partner and um, tries to enter a business or to use that medical service, we get all kinds of at the in the best case scenarios we get lots of questions in the worst case scenarios we get people trying to refuse service because oh we had somebody in here last week and they said their dog was a service dog too and it bit this employee and you know we just don't want dogs in here period now and that's a huge uphill fight um to have with somebody and i also really have compassion for if a business or a medical provider um, has recently had a traumatic incident with a fake service dog, then yeah, of course they're going to be leery. They don't want their people to be injured. I, you know, I do understand right. that. Um, right. Oh, well, me and you, uh, not too long ago, uh, we were going to a, we were heading into a medical facility, and we were doing some valet parking. And I know I got pretty upset when, you know, this guy started freaking out on us. And he's like, you better make sure you take that dog with you. That dog can't stay in the car. Well, first off, we do know there are irresponsible pet owners out there and just stupid people um, that will leave a dog in a car. And apparently somebody did at this place and the guy got bit by a dog that was left in the car. 
But what was upsetting to me about that whole situation was we're telling him, hey, this is a service animal. She's coming in with us. Like, we're, we're taking the dog. But he kept harping on us. You better make sure you get that dog out of here. It was, it was embarrassing on all parts to, to me that this guy wasn't listening to us telling him that, hey, this dog is going to be coming in with us. It's for, this dog's used for a medical purpose. Yeah, and I mean, he, he was clearly reacting out of out of, out of fear. fear and I you know again right. like I right my heart goes out to anybody that's been injured in the line of their job you know just trying to do what they're paid to do and someone was being irresponsible with um with a pet but um yeah in uh <laughs> sorry there's actually there's actually I'm I'm trying to hold three things in my brain <laughs> that I want to touch on. Of two of them are about this incident, and one is circling back to something earlier but important. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. So just uh, this man who was reacting fearfully um, to Livy. Uh, part of it, he he specifically said the dog who bit him was a German shepherd, and yeah. Livy is a German shepherd. And I just want to take a second make sure that folks out there know, um, although. Many members of the public I've met over the years think of German Shepherds mostly as working with police and military uh, personnel. They actually were the original seeing eye dog. They were the very first guide dogs in the world in Switzerland. Um, They were also the first uh, guide dogs in America because when the seeing eye began in 1929, they used all German Shepherds. The only reason that the majority of guide dogs uh, within the seeing eye and in the broader community are now labs and retrievers, or I should say not the only reason, but the main reason is that a lot of people grow up with those breeds and they're really comfortable with them and their temperaments are well suited to guide work. Labs and uh, goldens uh, have, you know, they're easy to train, they're eager to please, um, you know, they make excellent guides, but I just want to put in a plug for the German shepherds. Um, <laughs> because all three of my, I've had three seeing eye partners over the years. And I say partner rather than, um, a term implying ownership because under the law, I own my dogs because the law treats them as property. I find that morally and spiritually deeply objectionable, um, to me they are family and we work in a partnership of equals. We each bring something different to the table, but I don't, I'm not in my own mind. I'm not the owner of any of these souls. That being said, I understand that legally the way our system works now, it is a necessity, um, to, you know, to have ownership. And that's actually a different, a point of difference. The seeing eye versus many other programs is that I do own, um, my dogs in many programs, you don't, um, you, the school retains ownership. And so when your dog retires for any reason, they take them back. Yeah. They go back wow. to the school and they're, they're, um, they're usually adopted out to uh, a foster family, but like you as the, uh, as the blind or low vision individual have little or no say in how that happens. And I, Again, please, no, God, please no one take offense at this. 
this is just this is why I'm a seeing eye client and not a client of another school. Please, I know that there are many, many other good programs out there. I can name three or four right off the top of my head. So this is not me um, trying to slam another school at all. But um, one of the many reasons I am a seeing eye client is that I. Livy's family, I could never give her up like a worn out tool when she's retired. I, I couldn't do that. Yeah. Um, and I think just like you keep mentioning the word, you know, partnership. And I, I, I watch you guys work together and you guys have, I feel like what's more than a partnership. I mean, she's technically, I mean, yes, she's an animal and some people can call call her and say she's your pet, but she's really not. She's actually... A, a physical and huge part of you like she's she's technically your eyes she's your safety she helps you be a whole person so it's kind of like you know somebody taking away your eyeballs again you know <laughs> like like they're taking away a whole part of you because she's she's making up a, a part of you something that you cannot physically do well, we make we make a greater whole than either of us is individually. And um so Liv is retired now, which means that she's not she's not acting as my eyes in public spaces, but um in my case, um I also have uh severe post traumatic stress disorder and what Livy does do for me in public spaces as well as at home, um is uh act as an emotional support animal which is different under the law from being a service dog so when Livy retired she no longer wears her harness and I do not present her in public spaces as this is my guide dog um we only visit medical facilities uh and when we do that um anytime that I'm asked I explain I you know I have PTSD and she's acting as an emotional support animal in that capacity, um, the law allows businesses and medical establishments to restrict or forbid access to certain areas that a service dog would be allowed into um, if a dog is acting in an emotional support role. Um, I've, I never have tried to present Livy as like, she's not credentialed as a service dog for PTSD. She's credentialed as a, as a seeing eye dog. And I've never ever presented her in a public space as anything other than what she is. Thankfully, because she is well-trained and very um, uh, sociable, um, we've never had somebody in a medical setting stop us and say, oh, well, if she's emotional support and Get not out. service, yeah. you can't be here with her. Um, but there, there's much broader latitude for businesses and facilities to do that um, versus a credentialed service dog. Well, let me, uh, let me just say for the record here, and I want to kind of point out what what the difference is between these um, different types of animals. Like I said when I opened this, uh, this show up tonight, is that there are service dogs, there are emotional support dogs, and there are therapy dogs. Now, a service dog needs to be able to perform a task for a person that that person cannot perform. So they are performing a task to help that person in their daily life. You're allowed to ask 
when you're out in public or anything, you are not allowed to ask a person what their disability is or why they need the dog. All you are allowed to ask is what service does that animal provide. So now let's talk about emotional support dogs. Emotional support dogs are dogs that are untrained. There is no qualifications for them, nothing like that. You can just pick a dog, go to the kennel, pick up a dog today, say you love that dog, and that is your emotional support dog. There is absolutely no training for a dog to be a certified emotional support dog. What an emotional support dog is, is it's for yourself, to give yourself emotional support. Anybody who's going out and getting an emotional support dog, most likely to have it to be an emotional support dog, you have to have a letter from your doctor's office or a psychologist or psychiatrist office saying that this animal calms you, you are allowed to take it around places, and you're allowed to have it with you. That also does not mean emotional support dog because they go through no training just to be a support and a calming thing for you. That does not mean they are allowed to go everywhere with you. They are not allowed in restaurants. They are not allowed in certain places. So please be careful when you're doing that. Therapy dogs. Therapy dogs, my dogs, I mean, Aoife, you know my dogs, you've got to meet them. Um, <laughs> Jen has a wonderful pack. Yeah, so um, they are, um, Jasmine and Cheerio were both trained as therapy dogs. What therapy dogs do is they go through a special program with me, we go through training, I learn the rules, and they're allowed to go into certain facilities to go and be support for others. They're not support for me. I mean, even when I'm having a bad day and I go to Cheerio and I'm like, Cheerio, I love me. He's like, no. But if he goes into <laughs> if he goes into a hospital, he goes into a nursing home, he's there for those people. That means a therapy dog I'm sharing with others for my dog to give them support. Emotional support is for yourself and yourself only and has no training. Service dogs have to perform some type of task or service for their owner, for them to function. Now. Can I just jump in really quick? Yeah. Uh, just um, on, on the credentials side, there are credentialed uh, <coughs> dogs whose service function is support for someone like me with severe PTSD. So th there are, there's crossover um, between emotional support and uh, certain um, service functions. The difference is someone who has a PTSD service dog, um, that dog has undergone and completed successfully very specific training that has earned them credentials. Um, whereas someone like me who um, is working with a dog uh, on the emotional support side around PTSD, Liv has not... Um, been through a specific program to do that. She's learned to do it by living with me, but hasn't been formally trained. And that's a really important difference. Well, another thing I want to bring up, we, I'm going to circle back a little bit. We were talking about the vests and that people are just going and buying these online. And I want to make it perfectly, perfectly clear to people out here that it is not required by law you have a service dog, you are not required by law to have a sign or a specific vest on your dog to allow them to be a service dog, correct? Yes, that's absolutely correct. Okay, so the dumb people who just keep putting these vests on and are like, oh, my dog's wearing this vest and it says service dog, so I can go and do whatever the hell I want. 
Well, that's not true anyway. Um, so you don't have to technically have a, a vest. I, I mean, I think people are doing this and having the vest and being like, oh, because my dog has a vest, this makes me okay. Well, yeah, and people think of any external paraphernalia as blanket immunity. It's not. Definitely not. No. Um, even with a credentialed service dog, if your dog is displaying aggression or causing, um, I forget exactly how it's worded in the ADA, it's something like serious disruption to the normal operation of a business or facility, they absolutely are within their legal rights to tell you to leave. Um, so regardless of how many certificates your dog has, if your dog is not behaving appropriately in a public setting, the law is not on your side, and nor should it be. Um, so right. people who think that a fake vest just gives you carte blanche to, you know, have your dog With take you. a shit in the middle of the mall or whatever, right. like, you can't. Um, yeah, yeah and, and another thing I want, I want to just put out here and explain to people, I, I mean, what drives me nuts is you need your dog to get, you know, pretty much through life and to do some things that are normal. But these other people, they just want to take their dog everywhere with them. But what they're forgetting is maybe that, maybe the dog don't like that. Exactly. I, I mean, you're taking your dog in and saying, let's go into, you know, a crowded restaurant in a crowded store. Your dog has not been trained to be in situations like that and they might be uncomfortable. So now your dog's miserable. So to make you feel good, you're making your pet and your dog miserable and then they're going to get fearful with things and that's what could cause aggression issues where they're doing something that they shouldn't be. They end up biting somebody. I mean, people, our, our dogs need some time away from us sometimes. They need time to <laughs> go and relax and not deal with us. Leave them at home. They might not be comfortable. You want to take your dog everywhere with you. That's great and that's wonderful, but it's not plausible. Well, and... Um, just, you know, to, to I, I heartily agree with that and like to addenda to, to Jen's thought there. Um, uh, one is that um, part of both the, the beauty and the challenge of a seeing eye partnership is that um, you are very rarely apart from your partner. And um, that takes that takes wisdom and love and tolerance and accommodation on both sides. Um, it is a, a skillful and challenging uh, relationship to, to do well and, and fully and positively. So, um, you know, yeah, what Jen's saying about, um, most dogs needing some time away, that's true because, um, to, to have the kind of intimate partnership that, um, some, uh, branches of service work entail, um, that takes years of training on the dog's part and it takes, um, months or years on, on the human side. Um, it doesn't come, naturally um but it comes beautifully once you learn it um the other th the other thing i wanted to say is just um to reinforce uh jen's point about aversive stimuli for dogs in public settings um the seeing eye trains their puppies um they start doing uh stimuli exposure very shortly after birth it's little things at first like um coats hanging on the backs of chairs, which for some young puppies can induce a strong fear response. Um, but they, you know, they work up to 
uh, over the course of months, exposure to loud noises, to strange smells, to crowds. None of that stuff is natural for a pet dog. It's really fear-inducing. I mean, I can say as as a human with PTSD... It's fear-inducing as fuck for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like, I really feel for pets that get um, dragged Just into spaces thrown, they're not ready for. Thrown into situations they shouldn't even be in. So, to wrap up a little bit more just about these these vests, I know you had a story that you shared with me um, earlier. Just how important is it for people to understand that somebody like you who needs a dog and needs it for your your well-being that just going and buying a vest online isn't helpful and how how has this affected you how many how many partners have you had now i've had 3 inca flurry and livy and i um and i'm not i'm not going to get through this without crying but i want like i want y'all to hear that um so it's one thing to talk in general terms about um you know oh it causes problems for legitimate service dog partnerships if I buy, you know, a used seeing eye harness online and put it on my pet and like pretend that I'm low vision or something. So my intimate, ugly personal experience with this, and also the reason that I have PTSD, is that my first seeing eye partner, Inca and I, were standing on the sidewalk at our usual bus stop waiting for a bus at like quarter of nine in the morning on the 5th of October 2005 and a drunk driver ran across two empty lanes of traffic up onto the sidewalk hit us at 40 miles an hour threw us 50 feet and left us to die and went home to bed and Inca did die in her harness. She died in her harness on the side of the road. And I was unconscious with broken legs and bleeding into my brain. And I couldn't be with her. And she died in the line of duty. She died because of the work she was doing with and for me. And after that happened... The seeing eye, because of how strong the black market in used seeing eye harnesses is, contacted me and asked me to surrender, if I were willing, the harness and the leash and the collar that Inca died in. And I told them no. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But just the fact that they would ask a graduate who just lost the most important entity in her life in, in the such line tragic, of duty. In such a tragic way. And, like, you and her built this bond, and the harness had everything to do in with it. And that was a memory of, of her for you to be able to keep. And because we have these people out here who are buying this stuff and thinking it's fun and games, you almost lost... You lost your entire dog, but you almost lost a memory. Well, I mean, um, Inca's Inca's harness and collar and leash, they are terrible and sacred um, and intimate parts of our partnership that I keep and honor in 
um, in a prayer space, um, it is, you know, that's an inextricable part of who we were together. It was both what she lived for and and what she died for. And, yeah. you know, so I was, I I was not under any circumstances going to surrender those things. Um, But, you know, but... But you're also not going and selling it on the black market, like you said, or going on to Etsy and trying to sell it to, you know... Well, and again, I feel for the person that had to ask me to even consider that surrender because I guarantee you that was... I'm sure that was a miserable conversation on their end. And they wouldn't... They don't ask stuff like that. Um lightly uh you know they they ask out of desperation because there is a sustained black market um you know and people will pay more for the genuine article especially when it's something mm-hmm. like the seeing eye harnesses that are custom made so you know yeah just i i can't i can't <laughs> i can't urge y'all strongly enough if you know anyone that has done this or is thinking about doing this um you know, please share this. It causes real pain. Um, yeah. Well, I want to go back to, because uh, I know I've done some blog articles and stuff on this as well. You said how um, you're, the dogs that you get um, that come to you, um, they start out young and they start training extremely young. Then they go into foster care, I think you said, then you and them have to go to a school. So what I want you to explain to us and I want you to explain to people out here, my understanding with everything is these dogs go through a lot from the day they're pretty much born until the day they die. They are continually working. They're, they're not, at most of the times, they're not allowed to be a dog because they're a working animal. They're, they're a working part of you. So my understanding as well too is I mean, you've already retired Livy, and in all honesty, she's she's older, but she's, you know, still pretty young. And I don't think people understand the wear and tear these dogs have to go to to be a service animal and that their work is, their life is, is their work. And then they have a shorter lifespan, like Inca did, unfortunately, in the line of duty, but hers is a little, her story is a little, you know, different, but they have a shorter lifespan. They have sometimes medical problems because of, you know, the work that they've had to do. So I'm not sure why anybody would want to play their dog off and their animal off as a service animal animal when you know all the work that's gone into it that the day she was you know born that she's been working and working and working and working well I actually okay I want to I want to clarify that because Please. that the amount of work in a 24-hour period that a dog does who is a service dog depends tremendously on the type of service that they are providing. Um, So there are, say, like seizure alert and diabetic alert dogs as well as dogs who um, do like uh, object retrieval for people who are quadriplegic. Those dogs... um, are on duty much more of the time. Um, they're not necessarily working 24 seven, but like a, you know, a seizure alert dog needs to be able to alert, um, you know, night or day, doesn't matter like where, you know, where the person is or what they're doing. So they need to be able to come back on duty, um, 
you know, all, all but instantaneously. Um, and there are uh, some dogs that um, say are like balance assist dogs that get tremendous and sustained stress on their spines because, you know, everywhere that they go with their person, they are literally bearing the weight of the person. So those dogs um, can really suffer some, uh, some very serious uh, and often chronic um, health problems if you are well first of all the seeing eye has a full-time geneticist on set on staff so their puppies even before they are born have been bred to um be they've they've bred dysplasia almost all the way out uh of oh. of their lines like so german shepherd lab golden retriever um their hips are likely to be very sound. If they make it uh, to graduation, their hips are sound, like they've been screened. Um, uh, you know, and they're, um, they're, they're bred to minimize other um, chronic uh, bone and, and joint conditions. Not that they can never occur, like Liv has moderate arthritis in her right hip and mild arthritis in her left shoulder that's oh and and uh moderate um stiffness in her mid spine that's the classic wear and tear that happens on uh, a guide dog um and that's because at least in north america um we train our dogs to work on the left of the person they're guiding and so the harness is putting um moderate but frequent stress on uh the middle part of their spinal column and then uh because of the way that the person moves relative to the dog it's the the hip closest to the person and the shoulder furthest away that take the brunt of that wear and tear um and it's nothing you know unless you have a a catastrophic like slip and fall or something with your dog uh those are not going to be acute um traumas or anything but over a lifetime of work, um, they will develop health conditions related to that pattern of use on their bodies. And believe me, you know, like I, I grieve and wrestle with, um, knowing that as, you know, as a, an almost 11 year old dog, um, Livy has the particular, uh, um, musculoskeletal issues she has because of the work that she's done. That being said, she also has had a wonderful life. She's had, oh, um, you know, she, she has all, all the love, you know, not just from me, but from a whole large families. pack. <laughs> yeah. A whole large pack of, of humans um, that care for her. She's had top-notch vet care her whole life. She's had top-notch food. She, you know, she's gotten to be a number of places that stimulate her and engage her in positive ways that a pet dog will never get to experience. So I do realize it's a trade-off, but I don't take it lightly. Like she, in her old age, she suffers the consequences of having done what she's done for her life. Just like um, a human who has a particular 
um, labor-intensive job for a number of years. It that Words is written yeah. in your body. I mean, Jen. Yeah. Has, oh, I know. Yeah. Jen has that written in her body. <laughs> oh, um, sore now. <laughs> for sure. But I just I want to just you know end that thought by saying that um, as far as guide dogs go, I. I often encounter animal lovers who are members of the public who say, God, it just breaks my heart that they can never just be a dog. And I will say that for my girls and for everyone whom I've known with a guide partner, we make it a point. These guys don't work 24-7. For active guide work, uh, it's likely to just be a handful of hours in the day as you're, you know, moving from point A to point B. you know, unless you have a particularly uh, physically intensive and extensive uh, line of work that you and your partner are engaged in. But um, mostly, you know, the a big piece of their work is being patient because in between... Oh, I'd never make a good guide dog, though. <laughs> I wouldn't either. Oh, my God. I couldn't handle the stress. I'd be like um, Tweak from South Park. Yeah. The pressure, man! So no one my blood! Or, like, whatever. I'm sure I quoted that wrong. But, um, blood! Soon no what blood! Or next, though, what blood? Um, uh, anyway, um, I... Uh, the, for a guide dog... It's a mixture of safely navigating with your person to get from point A to point B, and that is teamwork. You don't, as the human, just Yank cross them. your fingers, pray, and walk <laughs> behind the dog. That's not how it works. It is, it is an active um, and constant exchange of information between you and your dog to get safely um, from A to B. But once you've gotten to B and you know you're going to be there for a period of time, your dog's job then is to be restful and quiet while you do what you need to do if that task is in a public space. And that actually, um, I think, is harder on uh, many, many guide dogs yeah. than uh, the active working part because it's boring as hell depending on what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and half and the times dogs, when you're at the doctor's office, you're bored out of your right, minds, you know? <laughs> right. Um, you know, and some dogs actually have to retire because they struggle so badly with the boredom side of it, um, you know, between between the periods of travel. So um, not only is there that, but there's also, I think, and, you know, this is a personal opinion, but it's a strong one. I think any loving and responsible, you know, seeing eye slash guide dog partner on the human end you need to be giving your dog recreation. It's it is critical. You would never expect a human, uh, any anyway, a healthy human, um, to do nothing except sleep and work. Like you just oh, you, you mean like my job? <laughs> like what oh I do? God, <laughs> Jen is really mostly not kidding. She's laughing, but she's really mostly about eighty percent serious. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. <laughs> but uh yeah i mean so i have always um worked hard to ensure that um that my girls do get recreation and they get to do things that, that they you enjoy know, yeah they get yeah. to play damn it because every you know every entity no matter what species 
needs the release of play. It's it's critical and it's a part of loving your partner and doing right by them in a service partnership. Again, there are exceptions where it can't happen and I understand that. Like I understand there are a few branches of service work where um play is much much more difficult and much more limited but like in a guide partnership you have no excuse not to and you're being cruel again this damn it this is my personal opinion this is not the seeing eye i am not an official seeing seeing eye spokesperson but yeah well talk to me a little bit um more too about how intensive is this training that service dogs have to go through like you you've mentioned a couple of times about graduation graduation how how long does it take to get to graduation? Well, so um, it depends entirely on the, the branch of service and the specific what school. Um, in the case of the CNI, uh, as I said, they have a very intensive genetics program. So literally, like, these guys are... <laughs> um, I don't want to say working at the cellular level, oh, but they're, like, involved with the program at that level. Um once once the puppies are born, um, they stay with their mom uh, at the the breeding facility for the first eight weeks um, while they're you know being nursed and nurtured and they do get um, exposure to uh, light to moderate um, levels of potentially aversive stimuli. So they are not at that at that stage. They're not doing anything that should induce like strong fear uh, in a dog. What they are doing is trying to gradually and gently introduce things into their environment that have the potential to be unnerving for a dog if they're not exposed to them early. Um, Dogs have that critical, and you may have talked about this in another episode, uh, I think it's around the, or no, it's for the first eight weeks. their brains are extremely malleable. Like, that's their learning window. Um, that's the difference between, like, a domestic dog and a wolf. Yeah. Um, it's usually, I think what you're talking about is what we call um, the fear imprint stage, which is usually between um, 6 to 12 weeks of age. When you want to expose them, and this goes into socialization, which I've talked about in another episode, that you want to, during this time period, expose them to as much as possible so that they are not being fearful of things so they're slowly introducing at a at a good and young age like just different objects different shapes different things different sounds and yeah absolutely and and you are exactly right that that is both the term I was looking for (laughs) and the window of time I was looking for um the difference is that like in a wolf um that stage starts earlier and it ends earlier um like I think their window might actually close by six weeks or something it's it's much much sooner than a domestic dog um so uh once the dogs are weaned um they are if it's if in the case of the seeing eye um they are adopted out to um 4-h puppy raiser families who go through um some pretty intensive screening and training before they ever uh, get their first seeing eye puppy. The the time that um, the puppies spend with their 4-H families um, is uh, roughly a year. Um, it can be slightly longer, but the range listed on the website at present is um, that they go back to the seeing eye itself between 13 months and 16 months of age. Um, once they go back, they then undergo about six months of intensive training. This is the final stage. 
Um, and this, of course, assumes that they have passed all of their medical screenings, which are intensive and frequent. So um, uh, I'm just going to digress really quickly to say that um, dogs uh, or puppies can be rejected from the program um, for reasons of temperament or reasons of health. Um, they undergo health screenings throughout um, their puppyhood and throughout each phase of their training. Um, the The temperament would be, um, it can be anything from like, does the dog show aggression with strangers to does the dog have an obsession with chasing squirrels, which sounds <laughs> harmless and cute, but it's dangerous as hell if you're trying to cross a street and your dog sees a squirrel that your dog really wants to get a hold of. Squirrel. Um, <laughs> squirrel. <laughs> um, so, uh, um, and I believe the current rate of graduation um, puppies who are born versus puppies who, who graduate um, with a human partner, I think it's around 65% of the dogs. Uh -huh. um, that actually has gone up over the years. I think when I first started, it was 45 or 50%. It was significantly wow, wow. lower. Um, uh, and um, even though the, uh, the fee for a human to train uh, with a seeing eye partner, it's like $150 for your first partnering and 50 every subsequent partnering. The actual financial investment that goes into a graduated seeing eye dog, I think it's eighty or $90,000. Yes. It is yeah. shocking. I mean, like, and it's for... Like, it's for good reason. It's not shocking because it's inflated. It's shocking because that's how much it really costs to yeah. do the kind of health and training investment that, that, these that they need. do. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so once they're in their intensive phase of training, um, that's when they, uh, they actually start to um, learn pieces of guide work itself. They've been exposed to commands and body position and to, um, I think even to wearing uh, practice harnesses when they're with their 4-H families. But um, the, the intensive training is when they actually um, learn the complex ins and outs of their job. And um, by the end of that stage, the instructors who are training the dogs are working in blindfolds. And they are not allowed to take them off mm. for any reason during the training. Um, because the philosophy is, and I quite agree with this, that your blind client can't take off <laughs> can't a blindfold um, if they get He'd into like trouble. And, uh, but I mean, the serious side of that is I knew an instructor when Inca and I trained who had his neck broken in a final stage training with a dog, he was in blindfold, um, and the dog, in fact, saw a squirrel, like oh. catty corner from them going through a busy intersection, went for the squirrel, and they got hit by a truck. And the dog was killed, and Steve had his neck broken. He, wow. believe it or not, like, he went through recovery and rehab, and he went back to training. Wow. He put that fucking blindfold back on. I can't oh. tell you. He was ex-military. I can't tell you the amount of courage. I mean, having been... Anyway, having been hit myself... Yeah. There's... No, I don't think there's any incentive you could ever give me to 
volunteer for something like that again. again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another reason, um, you know, me is doing what I do in a pet sitter. I don't approve of like these group walks that some people, you know, promote or these pack walks. Because if you've got like 10 dogs and all of a sudden they see a squirrel, you're going to jog out and hit by a car and you're dead. So yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, if is there anything else you want to kind of touch on because I just want to bring it across to people that you know there are people like you out here who absolutely need this need this partner they need this animal and it's not fun and games for you it's it's not fun and games I mean you love your dog yeah and you you play with her and stuff but it's not fun and games when you need this to function in life and and I just want to bring it back to everybody too um when Aoife here was talking about that uh She's retired her dog and she doesn't use it as a guide dog currently. Um, what people have to understand is there, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Aoife, but there are some other people who are completely blind like yourself who would possibly need to have another dog brought in right away when they retire their first dog or if their first dog retires, but you are an independent person. Oh, um, oh okay. Wait, wait, wait. So um, you should leave this in. Please don't edit it out, but I just, I want to jump in because the word independent in this context is really, really loaded. Um, oh, okay. Please correct me. Oh, no, no. It's just, you would have no reason to know this, um, okay. but this is something your <laughs> listeners probably will find, you know, of interest. Um, so... Before I partnered with Inca, I, I was 18 when Inca and I were partnered. Um, I had been a very um, competent cane traveler uh, since the age of three. So I had 15 years of safe cane navigation for all kinds of medical and personal reasons. There are serious legitimate barriers to um, a lot of blind folks uh, safely navigating with canes. So um, the fact that I have done it and I'm willing to do it when I have a dog in retirement um, does not mean that people who exclusively work with dogs who, who never use canes, that they are like choosing to be in that position. Um, most people who can't oh man I, don't, I hope I'm not misstating this my understanding um from talking to a lot of folks over the years is that many people who don't who aren't comfortable with cane navigation and can't do it safely um that has to do with uh how your brain maps space um the majority of people I've known who couldn't safely use canes were born blind. I have no idea if that's borne out statistically in the population as a whole, but um, people's brains do in fact develop differently depending on whether you have visual input um, in your early stages of development or not. Um, like once you're born, if you can see, that matters a tremendous amount to your brain because as primates, vision is our primary sense. It eats up the greatest amount of bandwidth in our brains. Um, so anyway, I, I just, the reason I jumped on the word independent is I don't want to make it, I, I don't want to leave anyone with the impression that someone who can't use a cane or chooses not to 
is less independent than I am. It's just a difference of, um, there, there may be personal preference involved, but everyone I've ever known, it was, it was a safety issue and, and it had to do with how they interact with their environments. Um, but like, because of COVID and the fact that my health is fragile and complicated, um, I, I go very few places, uh, right now. And I have gone very few for the last year and a half. And that's, you know, that's difficult in all kinds of ways, but one sort of silver lining is that um, I'm not apart from Livy a lot um, because... And you uh, got to meet me. Hells, yeah. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's not, oh, that's actually, that was going to be my, like, my wrap, you're, oh, you're, you're jumping on my wrap-up speech, sorry. girl. Um, but, uh, no, it's all good. Um, I, uh, I choose a path that is not the one that the majority of seeing eye uh, human partners take insofar as I have not brought another dog into our house. I will not while Livy is alive. Um, and that is because the promise I made to Inca and to Flurry and to Livy is that this partnership is for life and it is exclusive. That is a choice that has really significant costs to it in terms of um, cane travel isn't my preferred mode, especially with the PTSD. Um, and, you know... Uh, so you can do it if you had to. And I'm willing. Livy's yeah. worth it for yeah. me. I don't ever, ever, ever want her to feel like she's being replaced. But there are all kinds of compelling reasons um that should you know should stand as much outside of people's judgments as possible and I say this because I have a lot of judgments about it (laughs) but there are there are lots of folks who bring young seeing eye partners in when they have a retired partner or um they bring a new partner in and um foster their uh, their retired partner with family or back through the school if they don't have someone appropriate in their own life who can care for their dog in a loving and, and sufficient way. Um, everyone I've ever known who did either of those, it was for necessity. It was financial. Right. It was mobility. It was something. It's not because they're cruel people who don't care about their animals. It's just that for for me... Um, just based on my life history and based on my picture, my particular, um, spirituality, like I, I can't, I can't, I can't. Livy has earned the right to be an honored elder in my life, not yeah. to feel like she's being edged out. And that's just my extremely personal, extremely judgy <laughs> take on this. Please know that this is not the viewpoint of the seeing eye. And in fact, a lot of seeing eye instructors think I'm batshit crazy for doing what I do and what a minority of other seeing eye handlers do in terms of going back to a cane when you have a partner in retirement. A lot of seeing eye instructors and, and administrators think that that's crazy and unnecessary. So I am I, definitely I mean, I, not speaking for the school. Yeah, and when I when I said the word independent, I know you kind of jumped on me about that. Um, when I say independent, like you've you've been navigating this world a lot. Like I, you know your entire house. Like your, your dog doesn't need to, you know, guide you around your house or anything like that. And you also have 
other resources like I know I've taken you places um, your mom comes and helps you and you know you can just hold on to like my I call it my wing when we're out um, <laughs> but you hold on to my arm and I help guide you around so sometimes you don't have to pull out your cane but right. you you already have things planned out like okay I know this area I know this store I know where I'm going so that's what I kind of meant by independent that you're not solely like oh my God, I can't get out of bed without having my dog by my side. Right, and there are absolutely people, depending on the branch of service work, who literally can't. Can't. Right. Um, So, yeah, for sure. And um, and, and also the... Okay, yeah, when when you touched on other resources, that's a critical point to make also and to emphasize is that um, if I, I... I'm in an area right now where we'll be moving relatively soon, but where I'm at now... Um, I, my family has to travel uh, a very significant distance um, to assist me. I moved, I, we, we had a whole um, robust uh, community of, um, of friends uh, in North Carolina for, you know, almost 20 years, but we moved from there um, shortly after the start of the pandemic. Um, and, uh, you know, so the issue of how many resources in terms of other humans does a a person involved in a service dog partnership have access to that is such a fundamental part of how the partnership ends up functioning especially right now like if you've got a retired partner um jen has <laughs> is definitely a family in all but blood oh, yeah. um and you know in and in all seriousness like we would not have made it through the last 18 months between my health situation and Livy going through her transition and all of that like um Jen is worth her goddamn weight in gold and I mean oh, every you. word of that like thank you um I you know my whole my whole family and all of my close friends feel that way too <laughs> like you know just and and in all seriousness, if, you know, if someone else is listening to this with a service dog, especially a service dog who may be going through retirement and if the dog will be staying with you, like, and someone at any stage of the partnership, but, you know, particularly that one, um, you know, like, I can't plug for Jen strongly enough because, like, (laughs) Jen is compassionate and competent when it comes to working dogs, and she's also um, compassionate and competent with retired working dogs, and that's a whole different... That's a whole different ball of wax oh, and yeah. can be really confusing um, for a lot of, like, even veterinary professionals. Like, well, what is your dog now? Question mark, <laughs> question mark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I thank you so much for being on this episode. I hope but you know, we're getting some word out. And, you know, I like to educate people and I want people to know because... I've, I've watched you navigate this world and it's crazy to me that we're in 2021 and now in December, we're heading into 2022 now. And it, it amazes me still with this world and even being around you, learning from you a lot of this, that our world still is not, is not really greatly compatible 
for people like you, people yeah. who, who, you know, are, let's say, disabled and who is absolutely blind because I don't mean you've been out places and, you know, you've mentioned and said, oh, the elevator didn't tell me what floor we're on. Right. And didn't even didn't have freaking braille labels. I was, we were in a goddamn hospital where there, were, <laughs> there wasn't even braille on the buttons, let alone voice output. Um, yeah. and like there's, there's stuff like that, that, um, is apparent if you know what to look for. And then yeah. there's, because I am multiply disabled and, um, big pieces of that are on, on the mental health side. Um, that in, that set of inaccessibilities is even less in public awareness because it's literally invisible. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and, and so, yeah, I just definitely want to <laughs> plug for like, you know, please, I don't know. This world is hard enough for us to navigate through being, you know, me being a sighted person, as you call me, I'm the sighted person, um, for me being the sighted person and compared to somebody with a disability and something with blindness, that the world is, is even more difficult to navigate and you don't need to be harassed about your animal that you need to be there to get you safely, like you've kept saying, get you from point A to point B safely. And I, ju I just want, you know, the public out here to understand when you're pulling your dogs off and it's it's making these dogs who, who people need for their safety and for their life, it, it's harming them in a way. So please, you know, rethink when you're going and buying that vest online, when you're deciding to just want to take your dog everywhere. Is your dog really liking it? What what harm are you causing to other people? People like Aoife here who, you know, is still trying to navigate through this crazy world like the rest of us, but sometimes can't. And and what I have to laugh about too, and we'll, we'll end it with this, Aoife. So, uh, oh, can I stop just super fast? If y'all see any... Um, any school specific uh paraphernalia for sale online report it. it it is a crime um you can report it uh to the the venue where it's being sold you can i think in some jurisdictions you might be able to report it to your local police department you can contact the school in question you know like if it if it's stamped with uh say the seeing eye Call them or email them. They have contact information readily available online. They want to know this stuff. Like, this this is a market that should not exist. And if you are aware of it, please, you know, help uh, minimize it. Yes, thank you. Um, so what I also, last thing I just want to point out um, is, Eve and I have known each other for a little while here. And it's crazy because... Seeing Aoife and knowing Aoife, she's a, she's a great, fun person to be around. But she's also, you don't look at her and say, oh, my God, this woman's blind. So, I mean, I know we've talked about this before. So, um, she's not, she doesn't wear, not every blind person, you're not going to see every blind person, first off, you know, with 
a dog possibly. You might not see them with, you know, a white cane. I mean, you might, you might not. As Aoife said, it depends on the type of vision. But also, she's absolutely completely blind. She blinks at me. She's looking straight freaking at me. And uh, yes, one of her eyeballs is a glass eyeball. She's popped it out and it's I've seen the jar of them. Glass. <laughs> it's high-tech polymer. Oh, well, she has a jar of them, guys. So just and so you know. And soon it's going to be a bracelet. Oh. A beautiful beautiful bracelet nice but don't <laughs> don't just judge people on some of this stuff because literally when I've been out with Aoife we've gone places people are amazed to even see and know and realize that she she is actually a blind person and this is a service dog with us and the dog is here to perform a duty so um I hope you guys enjoyed this episode Aoife is there anything else you want to say to our audience before we head out um, just that I'm really, I'm really grateful to have, uh, to have had the chance to, um, contribute my two cents. Um, I we will say you. that it's, you know, it's really natural and, and good in a lot of cases to be, um, curious as a member of the public about what a specific identifiable service dog might be doing. I will say I always, I always try to answer folks questions I'm glad when people ask because otherwise they don't know they won't have a way to know but um please please ask but ask Respect. with the compassion of knowing that you may be touching on some very painful areas because um especially for the first like year after the hit and run I mean, I would just lose it. I would just start sobbing when people would ask me about what Flurry, like, the specifics of Flurry's work, especially, like, things like her harness or street Flurry was your just, dog right after Inca. Yeah, Flurry was my second yeah. partner. Um, Inca was my bodhisattva wearing fur. Flurry was piss and vinegar and laughter in the wind. And Livy is my brown sugar in a fur coat. There you go. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, um... So just, I, I always encourage people to ask, but, but please know that you are talking to another complex person who may have pain and or anger um, associated with some of what you're curious about. So that doesn't mean don't ask. It just means that you may want to um, engage with the knowledge that the emotional weight of the conversation could be much greater than you realize. Um, you know, it doesn't matter whether someone is, you know, visibly disfigured. You may be touching on trauma with any type of service dog. Right. Please do ask. It's good to know. It's important to know. Um, but, and I will say just, you know, as a, as a light note to end on, on my side, at least with me, um, if I'm not actively traveling, um, like if I'm, you know, at a bus stop or uh, in a waiting room or whatever, and someone asks me um, if I can't, you know, if they can pet my dog, because that's a really... Um, oh, that's a common one to be always Yeah, good. and yeah. You, don't, you don't ever want to never, never, never touch or speak directly to a service dog unless you have explicit permission from their human partner. And a lot of times, for many reasons, you're not gonna get that. But I will say, with me, if someone asks me and my dog isn't actively working, I will absolutely take the harness off. And you see the difference as soon as it happens. They go from business mode to play mode. And then, yeah. you know, and the tail's wagging and the ears are up. And, you know, they love 
scratches and you know the chance to lick someone just as much as uh as pets do so it's not that you can never interact with us with a service dog that way but there's very specific contexts and it is also down to the individual human there are lots of good reasons why people may not want their particular dog off duty at the particular moment you ask but i'm just putting it out there to say that like you know we're not it's not that we're all like Stingy Un- with the dog. Right, yeah. Un- unfriendly and just bottles of pent-up agony. It's just, you know, these are complex situations. Please yeah. approach them as such. And we're glad, you know, as I, at least speaking for myself and folks whom I know, um, we're glad to, you know, to have that engagement with the public. The seeing eye always tells you when you, you know, especially when you train with your first partner, two things. First of all, you are now an ambassador, whether you want to be or not, because you are visible with yeah. your dog um, in a way that you weren't necessarily with a cane, especially a collapsible cane that would be folded unless it's in use. So, you know, you stand out in a crowd and also you are the entourage. Your dog is the star. And right. that is 100% true. And yeah. I am 100% down with that. Um yeah. <laughs> Sure, for so. sure. And don't don't worry, everybody. She's yelled at me before because let me tell you, when it's it's hard not to try to talk to these dogs, and especially when it's one that you know. So yeah, when I've gone out and uh, Livy was working, and uh, I would accidentally talk to her, talk to Livy, and Efa here, she don't talk to the dog, don't talk to the dog, Can't, <laughs> don't don't look at her, don't look at her. So it's so hard when you when you know the dog and you're like, oh my god, I want to look at her, and you can't look at her and you can't talk to her. So it is very difficult, um, but they, they do love their dogs, but you need to make sure that, you know, the people are safe. So make sure you're asking and asking questions and, and being respectful. And Aoife, I'm so glad you were able to, you know, be with us and to open up our eyes a little bit more as to how serious this, this situation is and what, what our service to animals do. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, just on that, uh, the, the point of, um, don't touch well in harness, the whole reason you can't <laughs> is the harness is the dog's uniform. Yeah. It is literally the single physical cue that tells your partner when she or he has guide responsibilities and when they don't. So differentiating those two states of being for the dog are incredibly important. And if the dog's getting pet out of harness and in harness, it gets awfully hard for the, for the dog to keep straight when yeah. they can interact with other people freely and when they have to focus on specific tasks. Right. So, I mean, the reason we don't allow petting is not because we're mean. It's because we don't want to distract our dogs. <laughs> right. All right. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this and uh, tune in next time. Yeah. Happy, so happy early uh, solstice to any other pagans out there. And um, happy uh, Merry Christmas and happy belated Hanukkah and happy early Kwanzaa. Um, so, yeah. And uh, love from Miss Livy and me. Um. All right. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>